Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of this podcast will be investigated after the show. Thank you very much to Sim Archibald Steele for suggesting that title. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going great. You caught me right in the middle of copying and pasting comment of the week suggestions because it's already going like that for some reason the live stream has been incredibly busy thank you very much to everyone who joins us in the live stream you can find us by going to youtube and searching for missed apex podcast you can watch us and you can leave comments live while we're recording but matt those folk who said they were never watching f1 again after the french grand prix and they were dipping out for the rest of the season please, please tell me they were serious and that they missed this race. Because I I feel like this kind of race is the reward for long-suffering F1 fans. That's what you do. Rubbish race. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Amazing things happen. I love F1. And how many times have we seen this before? And this was, I think, the point all along. It's Formula One. Things will happen. And different years, different regulations, different tracks are the ones that throw up the surprises. And in fact, we had a great deal of help from a heat wave. Actually, you've made a really good point there. The tracks that sometimes seem boring, you change the regulations and then they're not the boring tracks anymore. And another track that we're expecting fireworks from disappoints us. But we can certainly go into detail about that in the summer. And contrary to what we said last week, we aren't addressing the last lap penalty first. We had kind of gone through a habit of going, well, let's get to the big issue But I don't think that incident was the big issue. I think the fantastic racing was. So we'll be covering the penalty that wasn't in Whose Fault Is This? But first, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined back from gallivanting around the world by Chris Stevens. And joining us after a long sabbatical, wasting his time having more children, it's Chris Catman-Turner. 
Chris, head in the game. You think you're too good for the shed, going to Le Mans and representing high-ranking drivers. But we are talking about the Austrian Grand Prix. I think there is absolutely no doubt that it was a very, very good race. Why was it so good? Race of the year for me. Uh, um, What made it, I think, was the tyre strategy. It was so on the limit. We had a lot of tyre wear, enough that even though the guys in first second third and fourth you know they all did a one stop but they were all approached it in a different way enough to create some excitement uh, the fact that we had uh, you know very different cars uh, in the fight you know it wasn't just a fight between two mercedes you had you had red bull and ferrari right in there uh, as well and for me what helped was uh, the drs was perfect here it worked to absolute perfection it didn't just make overtaking super easy where they just breeze by somebody and that's not really racing it worked perfectly the driver still had to get the the job done and we saw some awesome wheel-to-wheel action because of it oh interesting you mentioned the drs i've definitely got something to say on that in a minute uh, but uh, i mean Catman, you're you're a long time F1, you're, you're no spring chicken, you're a long time F1 viewer and watcher. I mean, a lot of a lot of races like this today could have panned out like the race at Paul Ricard. This time we had some incidents, penalties, cars out of position, but this is what can happen. It's, it's a roll of the dice, really. Yeah, I mean, thanks for that introduction. It kind of makes me seem old there, but that's, mm. that's great. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you can get some races that have all the ingredients and then just peter out to nothing. But this one really had everything in it and it really delivered. There was battles up and down the field. And and Chris was right. The, the DRS, as I say, I have something to say on that later, but definitely uh, I think it was mostly allowing them to, to, to really get up in the battle and be level at the corner entry. Matt, we've actually got a bit of time to talk about the pre-race. We won't go into the tyre swap meeting that you've put in there, except to say there was an attempt by the teams to get the uh, the 2018 tyres reinstalled. They needed 7 out of 10. However, they only got like 5.5. And the reason I'm told is because the smaller teams like the unpredictability of these tyres. They like the fact that even even if they don't have the raw pace they might turn up at a track and they're the ones that can switch it on and nobody else can. But it was super hot, hot, hot. And that must have affected things in quality. Yeah, it affected things in qualifying and affected things across the weekend. <clears throat> and most importantly, what it really affected uh, was Mercedes, who hadn't adequately predicted exactly how hot it was going to get on race day. And now if we're going to talk about the uh, Pre-practice too, we have to talk about the following three people, Vettel, Verstappen, and Botas. Botas with a big smash up. Yep. Verstappen backwards tearing the rear wing off his car. And Vettel just about doing the same. And because of the fact that he went off a bit earlier than Verstappen, wound up just keeping it out of the wall. Unusual to see top teams making those kinds of mistakes. And uh, actually, this this track has been notorious for drivers making errors. Chris, do you remember, I think, the second return to the Red Bull ring? And Rosberg was one of the first people to go over the curb and really smash his car up. And it was a bit jarring because we weren't used to these track limit limitations, really destroying cars. And people were upset during practice. But, you know, after all the track limits chat in Paul Ricard, you know, do you want the drivers to be punished going off track or not? Well, it's the perfect solution. You go out there, it breaks your car. And it's the the perfect deterrent while also maintaining an element of safety. Matt? 
Um, I believe the teams were a little bit miffed that nine front wings were broken. I forget how much they cost per front wing, but it was more than what I usually have to pay to get something replaced <laughs> on my car. Yeah, but it's if it was the Wolves at Monaco, no one's moaning there. You stay out of the wall, don't you? Christian Horner reported before Max Verstappen put his Red Bull in the barrier that the Curbs had done something like a quarter of a million pounds worth of damage to the cars. It's not the curbs that have done that damage. It's the drivers going on them. They should just stay off them, and then that's it. That's game over, done. Uh, to which you would reply, well, the tiniest mistake shouldn't cost that much money. No. But, but people don't mind gravel traps. I hear lots of people calling for gravel traps, Chris, and that can end a race, and that's got financial consequences as well, Catman. Yes, if you go into a, a gravel trap and you you pepper your car with with tons of, of gravel and it's like a salt and pepper shaker when they come out of there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they have consequences. I think it was Martin Brundle who went into to one back in the in the nineties and kind of flipped end over end um, just because he went off the circuit. So you know the, the gravel traps aren't a great solution either. The the tarmac runoffs are definitely safer, but the curbs with their um, with these big sausage curbs and that sort of thing, you know they have a bit of leeway and then you get to the end and then, and then that's it. And I think they've got, these guys are, are meant to be the 20 best guys in the world. They should be able to be millimeter accurate. We judge them as if they're millimeter accurate. So, you know, they should be able to do it lap after lap. Yeah. And there's an argument to be made that the the harsher you make the consequences for track limits, the, the more you're going to favor the better drivers who can get to that limit, be fast and not, uh, not crash, not damage their cars. So I think the rejoinder that to that would be then put the de- death curbs in for qualifying and the race, but for practice where you are <laughs> practicing, maybe you should have something slightly less punitive as the drivers learn the limits. Mm, and in Monaco free practice, we will recreate the Monaco circuit in white chalk in a car park somewhere in Berlin. So no, they don't do it on street circuits. And, and here I don't mind that kind of race furniture. I think it's made for an interesting challenge. And, and we've seen some drivers punished for it. And let's talk about qualifying. In fact, I think, I think Matt, to be fair, the, the, the two major things about qualifying were the tyre selections in Q2, which had a major impact on the race, and probably the Hamilton penalty as well, and the way that it was applied. Uh, so I'm assuming you'd want to start with the tyre choices. Yeah, well, we saw coming into the race that Ferrari had taken extra sets of medium tyres relative to the soft tires. So they had the same hard setup as Mercedes and Red Bull and pretty much all the rest of the teams. But they'd taken a larger selection of mediums. But what surprised everybody was that those mediums weren't deployed in the second qualifying session, which has been the norm for the top teams, to get a longer running tire and have an advantage and make a one-stop easier. They actually deployed them in the first qualifying session and then switched to the softs for the second and uh, were able to easily, obviously, get through to Q3, and that set up a wonderful tire battle between Verstappen and the Mercedes on the medium tires, which they went through on, and the Ferraris uh, and on the soft tire. I was going to say Gasly, but then I realized he wasn't really part of that battle, so there you go. It's questionable, isn't it, really? Because you could argue that that cost Ferrari the win. If they'd have started on the mediums, they could have gone uh, a similar length to Red Bull, perhaps? I am so glad you brought that up because do you know who went 26 laps on his soft tires? No, you don't. So I will tell you it's Lando Lando Norris went 26 laps and that was roughly half the tire offset that Verstappen had. Um, Leclerc pitting early 
as a strategy decision, actually, I think was one of the keys to the race. Uh, and we'll get to that later. But the softs could have gone longer. Ferrari pitted him on lap 21 and Verstappen going to lap 31 was all the difference at the end of the race. Okay, so who here has got a good opinion and a good sighter of the Lewis Hamilton penalty for impeding Kimi Raikkonen? I only caught the aftermath of it where Lewis Hamilton went running up to Kimi Raikkonen's marker board and just pulled it out of the way. And he went up to the stewards and he moved around the grid places and and then swept them off the table and said, it's rubbish, just let me race. I didn't catch the incident itself, though. Uh, Catman, can you break it down for me? Yeah, so basically in qualifying, he was on the run up to turn two up the hill. Uh, he was on the inside just trying to mind his own business. And I think he just caught napping a little bit. He was on the inside. He said that he saw the second car come, which was Kimi Raikkonen, and decided to, rather than stop, just try and get out the way by blasting the throttle. So he just scooted across the apex to the outside. Unfortunately, that kind of just totally put Raikkonen off his stride um, and uh, got the resulting hand gesture on the exit <laughs> of the corner that he deserved. But yeah, it was a, it was a surefire um, penalty, unfortunately for, for Lewis. I think he, he didn't get told where people were and I think he, he just wasn't uh, aware of what was going on around him. But um, these things happen on a, on the shortest track of the year and, you know, there's only a minute to get around it. So, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of uh, traffic when there's only 20 cars on that very short track. Uh, Korku Inomu says that Kimi gave the finger of endearment. Thank you very much to the chat room. Remember that there is an award given out by Matt Trumpets, which is comment of the week. So do keep those comments coming in. Uh, when I was driving home, watching, uh, listening to it on the radio, and I heard there was a possibility of a penalty, and I heard the incident described, my first instinct, Chris, because of all the kind of toxic, toxic social media going around at the moment was, oh my God, please go give him a penalty because I don't think I could have stood to be on social media if he'd have gotten away with any kind of controversial incident. And then secondly, I was like, oh, actually, Hamilton in fourth or fifth probably makes for a better race, probably what we needed right now in F1. For me, it was very on the cusp of of getting a penalty. Uh, For me, the the penalty should be more reserved for things that are cases of cases of negligence or things that are dangerous and and not things that are kind of wrong place wrong time which is what for me this incident um was but again like i say it was on the cusp because it did ruin kimmy's lap yeah Yeah, i guess the problem is that you can't actually um penalize just purely on the consequences of what happens you know if, if there's a rule you have to stick to it and he was in the way he got in the way of Kimmy's lap. Now it probably didn't affect Kimmy's grid, uh, Kimmy's position or anything like that, but it was more once, once it's happened, you have to penalize it because that's the rules. Well, I, I could be suffering from a lack of memory, but I do recall seeing incidents of this nature in the past with drivers being given a reprimand rather than penalties. But I don't know where Hamilton is in his cycle of dealing with the stewards. So it may not have been appropriate in this instance, because after all, Raikkonen did progress to the next session. And especially, I had thought, with penalties like this, that was something the stewards tended to take into account. Now, I did hear a few people arguing that, oh, Hamilton, he only gets a three-grid uh, pl- place penalty, which was only two in the end when it shuffled out, whereas Vettel, ha- uh, he did a thing and he got a penalty and that cost him the race. It's so unfair. Uh, but, you know, Hamilton's incident wasn't in the race. That's why he didn't get penalty in the race. But I've heard that 
I heard that so much on the internet uh, that I felt like I should address it. Um, and uh, did you see his response on Instagram, Matt? Did you see what you put on there? A total diva. Yeah, he just threw up on there. He was like, I'm really sorry. I think that was my fault. I'll try really hard to to do better tomorrow. What an absolute diva. Don't you mean it was an opportunity to rise? Just do that bumper again. Catman doesn't know his place. The bumper takes precedence. (laughs) Two spot penalty. Two spot penalty for Catman. This is where we turn to Matt Trumpets to tell us where the race was won and lost. And what a race, Matt. Genuinely different strategies for the first time in a while. Teams taking completely different approaches. Gamesmanship, brinksmanship. I think some teams made some massive strategy errors. And this was a race, genuinely, that could have been won by three different teams, potentially. Yes, and yay for that, because this is what has been missing in this season up until now. But let's do get right to it. And obviously, the start was crucial to who won and lost the race. And specifically, we had Leclerc with a good start. We had Max with a bad start. And we had everyone else with the okay start, except for Norris getting in between Hamilton and Botas for a little bit, which was just long enough to ensure that Hamilton did not get any kind of a good crack at Valtteri. I wonder if anyone else uh, agrees with this uh, statement. As much as I loved watching Norris go wheel to wheel with Hamilton, being totally unfazed by going up against a five-time world champion, it cost him a place, really, to Raikkonen and put him behind the Alfa Romeo for the vast majority of that first stint. Uh, do Do we agree, maybe, that he should have backed out a little bit and focused more on Kimi? As much as I hate to agree with Chris, he gave a cracking interview before the race where he said... The most important thing for me to do is to keep it clean at the beginning, make sure I don't trip over anyone, and most importantly, don't race the guys who aren't affecting my race. So don't race the Mercedes, don't race the Ferrari. Adrenaline, rush of blood, seize the chance to overtake Hamilton, and quite rightly, as a racer, goes for it. But there's no denying, Matt, that did end up costing him a place, not not overall, but it ended up putting him behind Raikkonen. And what it meant was he could have had Raikkonen behind him, holding off Verstappen and Vettel, etc. And in a faster car, that could have had consequences further further up the line. But yeah, he did. He did he did cost himself and he went against his own plan. But it was magnificent. Yeah, well I, I can hardly fault him for trying to take the yeah, advantage no, no. where he sees it. Because the further up, if he can get ahead of Hamilton, even for a lap, then the both of them are just that much farther away from everyone else. And it was clean and it was an, it was fun to see him McLaren racing a Mercedes. It really was. Yeah. And he didn't give up when he was overtaken either by Hamilton or by Vettel. He cut back at both of them and was like, oh, I've got DRS. Have it. Or or not DRS, but he had the slipstream. I beg your pardon. Yeah. He had the toe and, and he was, um, but he was smart. He didn't really push it to the point that he damaged his own car or his own race. Yeah, the spot to raking in for a bit was problematic. But if you look at the finish, it didn't have much impact. It might have had more impact on the runners behind had he had he not chosen to fight Lewis, because then Lewis would have been free to try and get around uh, Valtteri before the first pit stop. Okay, I'm calling it. I know it's controversial, but I'm going to speculate that Norris is going to be really good. I think he's going to be really good. I'm excited anyway. I have hope. And, uh, you know, it's the hope that gets you, isn't it, Matt? But I think he's going to be the next great Brit. 
Yeah, and now here's my here's my hot take that's controversial. I'm going to say that Verstappen losing those places at the beginning is why he wound up winning the race. Oh, okay, we'll get there in a second. Although I've never quizzed Chris Catman Turner, which is why we're calling him Catman. It's because he's a furry and he likes to dress up as a cat, and that's what that's just what his him and his missus are into, and that's why we call you Catman, isn't it, Catman? Yeah, absolutely. You can see by my hair that I do like a bit of fluff. Also, you are a vet. Which is, right. which is also Absolutely. why we call you Catman. A veterinary surgeon, not a, uh, I haven't been in any wars. I've never really quizzed you on who is your favourite driver. You, you, of course, are our terrible quiz master and you provide us with ambiguous and vague quiz questions at best, but we love yeah. you for it. Who is your favourite driver? Do you support a driver? Um, well, I, I do have a lot of different shirts in my closet, but I do particularly, I've always loved Lewis Hamilton, but uh, Landon Norris is definitely my favourite up and coming guy. I've uh, switched camps a little bit. I'm actually looking further down the field now, less at what's going on at the front, more what's happening in the midfield battle, because that's where it's really fascinating for me. But yeah, Landon Norris, I think is the next big thing. I think he's awesome. Brit bias. Typical, yeah, typical missed apex. Rubbish. Yeah. All right. Where do you stand on Verstappen? Are you, are you a cheerleader of Verstappen like my son Treeface has decided he is now? He's suddenly miraculously a Verstappen fan. You fickle <laughs> fool. Oh, Verstappen's great when he's not moving in the braking zone. No, he's, he's absolutely fantastic. He's a breath of fresh air and he's, you know, as he, as he said, if you, if you don't go hard, you've got to go home and, and he races hard. And that's what I really like to see. If, if you don't, if you don't get people who are, you know, willing to, to make these moves, then, you know, it's going to be really dull. And it's exciting to have someone like that in the mix and in second place on the grid. So obviously when his anti-stall kicked in, I think collectively the whole of the Netherlands said a bad word, which could be heard ringing around the world. Uh, but it, you genuinely go, oh, this race is now going to be not as special because he is is not in it anymore or, or we felt like he was out of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's it was always tricky when he was getting towards uh, the first corner and you were seeing him dropping down to, to eighth. And I, actually, I, I was quite happy because, you know, you want the fast guys at the back. And, you know, I wasn't convinced that, that Vettel and Hamilton had the pace because they were struggling, you know, all weekend long. And, and actually, you know, having, having Verstappen, who genuinely put it on that front row, was like, having him further back was was excellent. Trumpets. Yeah, well, I, I would like to just make the brief, somewhat tangential point that part of Verstappen being slow and having the anti-stall on the grid was that it did back Hamilton up and keep him from initially being able to get round Valtteri. So I know I was going on about Norris causing a problem later in the lap, but really the problem started there. Ah, so that's interesting. So had had uh, Hamilton got ahead of Bottas I think he might have had a different race I suspect that the gap between Hamilton and Leclerc might not have been as as fast in that first stint but obviously that is speculation that is just my instinct based on the fact Chris that that you know that Hamilton is generally faster on race pace and what we saw was Hamilton holding station two and a half seconds back from Bottas but that gap to Leclerc just getting a little bit uncomfortable and you thought if you're Mercedes you actually, you want the other car, you want the 44 to be the one chasing down Leclerc. And that's why I suspected when it came to the pit stops, I went, oh, hang on a minute. Are they just getting Bottas out of the way? No, I think it was going to be expected that the undercut would work uh, initially anyway. And you know, it would all pan out at the end. As we saw with Max, you know, the superior tyre life was what won him the race. So how that would have panned out, I think that would have been quite interesting to see. But I just don't think Mercedes had enough on, on this 
uh, track. I mean, I think it was track specific. You know, we're looking at a Canada-like scenario where Ferrari's straight line speed was good, but also the heat was a compounding issue for Mercedes because I think they were struggling to cool the car a little bit more and they lost more downforce than say Ferrari did because Ferrari weren't just quick on the straights. They were quick in that middle sector, which is predominantly uh, corners, which is where we usually see the Ferrari lacking to the Mercedes. So a bit of a sort of topsy turvy in the uh, performance characteristics of the two cars there this weekend. Yeah, and absolutely crucial to the the cooling. Not only was the the temperature, which I be- believe was was almost twenty degrees more than on average on the track, but also it was to do with the the altitude because they're seven meters above sea level at this circuit. It makes it a very power dependent circuit. Sorry, did you say seven meters? Seven hundred. Oh right, okay, okay. Yeah, so so seven hundred meters. So the air is a bit thinner. It means that there's not as many molecules of air going over all of the components to cool them down which is what they heavily rely on which is why in places like mexico as well they have real problems with cooling this is a similar but not quite as extreme example of that and where do we always see red bull performing well brazil mexico the next two highest tracks on the calendar just something about that car that works in uh, you know low air density environments and also the renault power unit because uh, you get a little bit less resistance on the uh, turbo uh, and a bit less air going into the internal combustion engine itself. Something about the Renault seems to work quite well. And we saw McLaren doing very, very uh, well here. Although I think that was probably more chassis related than, than engine performance. So when we're talking about engine performance, um, Othnell and a couple of other people have said that the Mercedes was having to slow down because its engine was just overheating that and that perhaps they were running it in some kind of safe mode or some kind of mode that would be that would protect them i suspect that red bull with that honda were doing something of the opposite because they were they were screaming down the radio wasn't he? he was kind of i'm losing power i want more power and eventually they said something you know which which what's that movie where they crank the bass up the volume up to 11 come on somebody tell me what that movie is matt Spinal tap. Spinal tap. And they went, yeah, you can have engine mode 11. I was like, I see what you're doing. I reckon they gave him absolutely everything because they know that, as Chris said, this is one of the few tracks they're going to have a real chance on. And they wanted to take it. Right. So the power issue was actually an engine uh, and exhaust sensor failure. And once they failed the sensor and reset it, they were able to give him full power again. Turning Turning the engine up to 11, chasing down... Leclerc at the end was highly reminiscent of um, our, our our friend going after in the Lotus Vettel with Grosjean and turning their Mercedes up to 11 and going, oh, wow, the car works a lot differently when we can use these power <laughs> modes, doesn't it? But I think the crucial thing, uh, and not to be overlooked, was that Honda had been suffering with a resonance issue with the MGUH crankshaft and the latest iteration of their engine which they went to their uh, jet engine division to help solve, has entirely solved that problem. So I think in some instances, we could argue that this was as much a reliability race as anything else. Mercedes had to turn their engine way down to not overheat it. And that cost Hamilton, especially in the second stint. And, And then it was just down to Ferrari and Honda. Well, I absolutely love that we have you know, jet engine technology in Formula One. It's really, really cool. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if Red Bull decided to just kind of forget reliability for this race. If it's going to win us our home race yep. on a track that is called the Red Bull Ring, what a you know, what a moment 
that that would give them if they could win that race at, at whatever cost. I mean, it might give them a grid penalty somewhere down the line, but I think you know they've already already been committed to that uh, with earlier engine uh, changes as much as they've improved the reliability of that power unit. Yeah, and and they definitely would have gone for that, and and also it, it's the fact that they um, Max is now the only two time winner of this um, race at this race circuit of the current drivers. So Hamilton's won it once, Bottas has won it once, and Verstappen won it last year and this year. So they clearly target this one as as one that they go well at and one that they can really optimize and again with the you're talking about the aerodynamics as well when when the air is is thinner the the cars which have got more effective downforce are going to be that that's going to be even maximized because those that are very efficient and just slip through the air there's gonna be nothing for them to work on their wings they have to run a much higher wing setting than than you normally would do Let's talk strategy. Matt Trumpets, my American podcasting brother in arms. Thank you so much for your commitment to Mr. Apex Podcast. People don't quite realize what goes on behind the scenes. You do most of the show prep and we have kind of a uh, a pit stop style mentality, don't we? At the end of the show, Matt, you know, we've got our web designer, we've got people running the promos, we've got people doing the social media, people doing the video and the audio, and it all comes together in like a slick team. Yeah, it does. There is a small amount of work that goes on before the show happens. Which means that I do get to come on and just show off and present. But it's really nice to have some of that groundwork done. And we really, really appreciate it. Matt Trumpets, um, at MattPT55 on Twitter. We, we always sell, you always hock your wife's books. Well, we won't go into it too much, but they are romantic novels with a story, with a heart. So you can follow a... Weaver writes on Twitter at a Weaver writes for her mucky books. Matt, let's talk strategy a little bit because this is the stage before the first pit stops that we genuinely didn't really know where it was going to go. So we were lining up with, um, with Leclerc up front with Bottas and Hamilton who looked like they were pretty much going to hold station there. It, the, the strategy was going to be, could Hamilton find a way past uh, Bottas? And it looked like Leclerc was going to disappear off at this point. Verstappen and and Vettel, they're not really in it. And and it was Bottas that blinked first on the mediums. Yeah, well, if we're going to talk about it, I think it might help our listeners to think about who was racing whom. Oh, yes, let's so do the, that, yes. In, in the beginning, we had Bottas racing Leclerc at the front. We had Hamilton behind, so he's not going to get the best strategy. You had Vettel with an excellent start. So Vettel is looking at Hamilton now as being the back of the two Mercedes drivers. And you're thinking it's Leclerc, Botas, Hamilton, or maybe Hamilton, Botas, depending. But these are who are racing. And then you have to wonder who is Verstappen racing. Well, Verstappen also would have been targeting Hamilton because they Vettel and Verstappen were both eyeing that last podium spot given their starts and their strategy. Now, what happens is... As Verstappen makes progress, it's it's Botas who comes in first, and Ferrari pulls an amazing strategic move. They bring Vettel in because they know that Vettel will block him getting out of the pit lane, and in fact, he did. Botas had to be held while Vettel trundled down the pit lane in front of him, costing him a second or two. Which would have been fantastic had Ferrari had the wheels ready. And it is just comedy hour 
at Ferrari. And I, I nearly tweeted beforehand the, the joke I've done about five races in a row going, well, how are Ferrari going to throw this one away? There's always something. But to just not have the tyres ready and not have the tyres out, it just seems comical. And they were, they were running out. And did you see the one who was running out to the far side nearly collected Bottas on his way out because he didn't seem to have a grip on that wheel either. They were un- they were just in a blind panic. It's it's so strange that that is not drilled and uh, and they don't have that down. Well, it's I can explain it very simply. Uh the the radio to the mechanics failed. Oh. They never got the message. Well, that's bad. Uh, wait, wait, wait. What you mean from the pit wall to the mechanics? All Bingo. right. Bingo. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean at, at some point you go, I've called the driver in, I've told the mechanics, and nothing's happening. Are they just staring at their screens? Is there no point where they're looking behind to go, do you know what? I'll just check the mechanics are coming out. The mechanics are not coming out. Normally, when I give the radio message, the mechanics come out. I'll do something. So I, I still put it on them. There should be enough fat between making the call and then realizing there's no mechanics. So I, I'm not quite going to give them a pass there, Catman. I think it's because they were um, responding to Bottas that they had a very, very short amount of time to to actually react to that. So you were talking about a, a six-second radio fail. That's that's not long. Obviously, I know they can do a pit stop in, in two seconds nowadays, but um, you know, six seconds for, for you to, to go, hey, guys, uh, you hear me? That's it? And that's it. That's your six seconds gone. Well, hang on, because Chris Stevens, surely uh, they are primed ready to go here they, they definitely are hitting the pit window because they knew for Leclerc that they were aiming for like lap 17 lap 18 to come off of the soft tire that Leclerc was on so they had to have been ready at some point and I don't actually know why Bottas came in relatively early but it's not they were in the pit window Chris yeah but if they're if they're not going to come out into the pits they're not going to be wasting time with that I mean just going to add on to the the six seconds stop yeah, that that cost him, let's say, three and a half seconds, but it also put him out behind the uh, the midfield battle between um, Raikkonen and Gasly, I think it was, um, and and that would have cost him time getting through that traffic. And when you think that ultimately he was only eight tenths of a second away from getting Bottas onto the podium at the checkered flag, did that cost him a podium uh, this time? Yeah. So we have the six second loss, and we have the loss of time to midfield traffic. But crucially, what I wanted to say was that Botas kicked the whole thing off because he was losing time to Leclerc and Hamilton was faster. So Botas coming in first, was, you know, you get priority call when you're ahead on the road, but it helped Mercedes out because it freed Hamilton up to go faster. Yeah, no, I, Matt, I totally thought that that was the tactic, was getting Bottas out of the way to then give Hamilton a run. So Hamilton's sitting there going, I'm not going to overtake my equal teammate here at the moment. I don't have the delta. Our tyres are the same life. If he's smart, he backs off to two and a half seconds, which he was, and he's saving his tyres. So that's what I thought, that Mercedes were kind of just subtly getting him out of the way. Well, you're losing time, we'll bring you in. But actually, Hamilton still got pace. And then the charge for the overlap, uh, for the overcut could begin. Right. And this is what happened. He went about a lap. He set fast lap. And they, they talked about bringing him in. He's like, no, these tires are still good. Let's go. And at that point, you knew what was on was he was going to try and get the overcut on Botas and get ahead. And now suddenly you've got Verstappen, who hasn't pitted, targeting Hamilton. So now Verstappen is chasing Hamilton. And because of Hamilton's decision to stay out, Verstappen stays out long as well. 
Right. And th- I think this is, this is what set, sets the scene. So we've got Hamilton and Verstappen staying out long and not gaining track position, but coming out with tyres that are 10 laps uh, fresher. And this is what sets us up for a fantastic second half of the race, which is what we had. But of course, Lewis Hamilton then had the, the, the front wing damage, which effectively put him out of the hunt for the win. That's right. And where that differs from Ferrari is Leclerc pitted basically in sequence with Vettel. In other words, Vettel came in a lap or two later, in comes Leclerc. So that was conservative strategy decision. It was 22 laps on the soft tires, kind of the limit of what Pirelli said. But then, like I said, you had Norris going longer. So why, if he had pace, was Leclerc pitted? And that's because at that time, Ferrari still thought they were racing Botas for the win or Hamilton and Verstappen wasn't really clocking on their radar. No, he's he's kind of surprised everyone. But but after the after that set of pit stops, we had the the specific scene where we we had uh, Verstappen coming through uh, eventually, we didn't realize at the time to take the win. I didn't I just didn't see it coming. It was a huge surprise, wasn't it Chris, to see a Red Bull suddenly come to life like that and start charging up the field. And disappointing, actually, that Hamilton didn't make more progress. We'll come to that a little bit uh, in, in a little bit later. But Hamilton kept a twenty-second gap to Leclerc for most of that second stint and didn't make any progress. Whereas Verstappen was just on fire. Where did that come from? Yeah, it's surprising, especially when you consider that Max was down in seventh place at the end of lap one, Linus Stone with his teammate, and and all the work to do at the front. I mean, losing time trying to pass. Raikkonen and, and Norris uh, and uh, making up the time in the pit stops was was really really good. I th- the car works really well on that compound of tire as well, which I think um, helped. But there was so they they go well in Austria, I, not just because of the uh, the stuff we we talked about earlier with the directly performance related, but they seem to do well with the tires um, here. You know, remember last year's race where everyone was really blistering, and even though Red Bull was suffering a bit, they were getting the most out of it still. And I think we were saw it seeing a, a very similar thing here where they were just able to get the best out of that tire. Because even if you know, Max had uh, fresher tires, uh, we, we've seen this with uh, alternate strategies that usually by the time that you get up to your competitor and try to overtake them, you've used up your advantage. But Max still had his advantage coming through the traffic. All right, let's hear from Catman. Yeah, so if you they do these strategies uh, quite frequently in in the alternate strategy where they have the better tires towards the end of the race, but as you said, by the time they usually catch up, they they don't have enough life left in them. Mm-hmm. I think it also uh, comes down to the fact that this circuit you've got a good few op- overtaking opportunities that actually allows them to make use of those tires. There's no point, say, in Monaco having soft tires on compared to hard tires if you just can't pass. Whereas here you've got good DRS zones, you've got good tight corners with you know lots of angles that you can come into the mat so there's plenty of overtaking opportunity and actually you can get by quickly and that's all important for this sort of strategy well and i think the last thing and the point i'd like to make is again uh, being back in traffic and having to pass people also meant that verstappen was looking out for his tires a little bit more and once he was clear because of the pit sequence he had almost 10 laps where essentially he was trailing Hamilton in, in what amounted to, to free air. In other words, there wasn't a lot of resistance for him to be going against. 
So he was able, he was still turning competitive lap times. And he only came in because Hamilton came in. He probably could have extended even a couple of laps further. And this is the other thing. Once Hamilton's wing went, he lost probably three or four seconds in those last two laps he was out. And that that was crucial to closing the gap with Verstappen. And that's why after that extra lap, he came in. And that's definitely the story of this race so far. It's super Max Verstappen. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's absolutely no denying that this was Max Verstappen's race. There's no denying that he is completely bossing Red Bull. I I cannot possibly imagine that Gasly is as bad on merit as he appears. I just, I can't see it. I can't see that he's that bad. Clearly, it's not going well. And what I'm hearing was that if they had more faith in their Toro Rosso drivers stepping up, Gasly would be out of there. Gasly is there at the moment because... He's a known entity and everything's going to plan. But Chris, I think Max Verstappen is a force that Gasly is very, very unlucky to come up against. He is a driver in a generation, you know, much in the vein of Alonso and of Hamilton and of Perez. And, you know, Gasly's had a big slap of Verstappen in the face. And it's at moments like this, he can really show it. No getting away from it. The young Dutchman was on fire today. The 2019 edition of Max Verstappen is supreme. You know, he, he's not just got the speed anymore. He's got the discipline as well and a bit less attitude, but just enough to, to boss the road, which is exactly what he needed to do and what he did do and what won him the race today. But as, as amazing as Max is, the difference between him and Pierre is, is you can't just put that down to a talent gap because I've never seen Red Bull defend a driver so hard. No, I think I think I think Verstappen is a clear number one. I think the resources will go more to Verstappen than Perez than to Pierre Gasly. But I don't think that explains the full gap. But I think, and unashamedly so, a lot of teams have a one and two policy. So it's not it's not new, Chris. They were line astern at the at the end of lap one, and Gasly was a lap down by the end Mm. of the race. There is something seriously wrong there. But you can't just call up a Toro Rosso driver. 
Maybe they can get Kvyat back in there for next season, but you can't promote Albon because the reason Gasly is struggling so much partially is probably down to the fact that he only had one season in a Toro Rosso and has been rushed up. Uh, exactly what happened to Kvyat. He was rushed up to replace Vettel. You can't just do the same thing with, with Albon uh, now. Uh, and uh, maybe they can get Gasly back in the Toro Rosso f- for next season. But uh, ultimately, there's something they have to do. Trumpets. Yeah, there is something they have to do. And they've gone and done it. They've imported Pato Award into the lower ranks. And dropped Tictum as well. And and dropped Tictum. And they've kicked him into Super Formula. Now, I don't know. Maybe you've heard uh, there were some licensing issues uh, because I'm hearing that he might not get points for his indie lights championship because there weren't enough cars in it but i haven't heard disposition of that but it looks like what they're trying to do is set the team up so that someone can move from toro rosso to red bull and mercedes has pretty much snapped up anyone else that we'd be thinking about catman uh yeah i mean pato ward is uh is is a very hot talent from indycar i i think the the problem with putting kvyat in that car you, you were saying that that he actually got promoted too early as well in that first season he was easily the the measure of ricardo who is seen as a super talent who in the right car could take on hamilton and the likes so yeah. actually you know you know I, I don't think he was too early i just think he uh, got problems with his uh, his torpedo reputation okay so let's forget about the other red bull drivers for the minute uh, chris today not every driver in that car would have been able to cut through the field. Those overtakes needed overtaking. They needed some doing. Yeah, and he was amazing. Going about it in in every uh, which way, uh, the, the lines he was taking, the way he was setting up the corners, it was proper, proper old school racing, You know, which is something of a rarity in modern Formula One, I fear, because I think we've gotten so used to drivers just sitting in a gap and then using DRS to sail by. No, he had to make it work for himself. He was doing really well. I enjoyed his charge up the field until he illegally punted off Charles Leclerc. Whose fault is it? All right, don't at me. We're just going to talk about it. It was a big feature of the race. Of course, towards the end, uh, they uh, he, he tried to get past Leclerc uh, on the inside and actually left room the first time and Leclerc was able to hang on around the outside. When he tried it again, there is absolutely no doubt that he showed him exactly where the edge of the track was. So we've done a lot of penalty chat here on Missed Apex Podcast, as has the rest of the internet. So before we knew that there was going to be no action taken, people were predictably saying things like, oh my gosh, if uh, if the there's a penalty, the F1 is dead again, even though it already died at Paul Ricard, even though it already died in the steward's office, despite Karin Chanduk's best efforts in Canada. If you are going to object to a penalty, I think there's three categories you fall into. So I'm going to, I'm going to say those three categories, and then I'm going to ask my panel whether they thought a penalty was possible and which category they fall into. So you can, you can, I heard people calling for no penalty because it's been a really good race and it would ruin the race and it's right at the front and that that sort of battle shouldn't be decided by the stewards. So it's basically saying the situation can dictate whether it's a penalty or not. The second category is the one that irks me the most that I, we've been hearing since Canada, which is it should be no penalty because we just basically shouldn't have any rules. This is racing. Just let them race. The Just Let Them Race Brigade, on any kind of questioning, 
fall down very quickly because when you have something obvious like Ricciardo leaving the track around the Kimi Raikkonen and coming back in, the just let them race have to then double down and say, well, that's that's definitely not a penalty as well. So they fall down at the very obvious ones. So, so far we've got no penalty because it ruins the show. We've got no penalty because we shouldn't have rules. And then the third category is no penalty because there are rules. We like rules, but we feel that in this case, no rules were broken. So let's go with uh, Catman. Where do you fall? Was there a case for a penalty? And which one of those categories do you fall into if you don't want a penalty? Yeah, I, I definitely fall into the latter category. And I, I do think there should have uh, should not have been a penalty applied. Um, the... The issue, I think, is that if you don't have rules, then you just have anarchy and they can do what they like. It's, first of all, dangerous. And second of all, nobody knows where they stand. So I, I think if you want that, you just go and watch um, touring cars. Uh, but actually, you know, in this situation, I, I'm not convinced that, that Max uh, should have a penalty at all. So I agree with the, with the stewards. Um, so, so you think he shouldn't have a penalty because no rules were broken? Is, is where you're falling under. However, you don't have an objection to penalties being issued in, in general. No, absolutely. Okay. okay, Chris Stevens, where'd you fall on this penalty? A very similar position to uh, Catman, really. Um, for me, if you're going to hang around the outside of a corner like that, you should be fully prepared for the driver on the inside who is commanding the corner and dictates the line to just run you out of road. We saw it lots of times in that race without contact, especially down at turn four, where you most often get this uh, incident. We saw a lot in the junior category as well. No penalties whatsoever, regardless of whether there was a little bump on the way there as well. I think the reason Charles was uh, quite so mad about it is that I think he was more angry with himself because he made the mistake, in my opinion, by sort of defending the middle ground and then just leaving the door open for Max, not once, but twice to get up his inside at that corner. The mistake was his. Okay, Erudite makes a great point, which says, you know, have you forgotten we don't have racing incidents here? And that, that's true. We do apportion blame. So even if we say it's a racing incident, I still want you to go on one side of the fence or the other who was most to blame in the incident. So go on, Chris. Charles. Charles Leclerc. I think we've got that. And Matt, where are you? Um, yeah, penalty was absolutely uh, provable or at least possible. Uh, under the incident as we saw it so that's where i that's where i am with that so so you're saying it's plausible but you probably wouldn't have given a penalty as well no actually the more i looked at it the the more issues i had with the penalty not being given to be clear due primarily to being consistent with the canada's decision yes that's a great point as well it does say in the regulations and i would like to point this out because this is where I think people have the most trouble with all of these stewards' decisions. It's first of all, the penalty and a driver being penalized is utterly at the discretion of the stewards. And they're only to impose a penalty if one driver was uh primarily uh wholly or predominantly to blame. So given that, then what we would want to see between decisions is that wholly or predominantly standard applied fairly consistently. So when it was argued in Canada, it was 50-50, let them race. Well, that's actually a reasonable argument to make under the standard of 38.2 in the sporting regulation. So it has to be mostly someone's fault. And luckily, in Miss Apex podcast Shedland, it is always always somebody's fault. Now, I, I did not expect there to be a penalty because we have seen precedents for this incident over and over again. 
And only, I think, in the case of Rosberg in 2015, at the same corner, actually, have we really seen a penalty for somebody escorting somebody right out to the outside and forcing them off track. We've seen Hamilton do it over and over again. And I, I have been consistent on this. I called for Hamilton to get penalties when he did it against Rosberg. But the, the problem is they let him off with it a few times. The Bahrain chop, very aggressive on the outside. Uh, I think it was Austin 2015, and he did it in Canada as well and bumped wheels. And Chris, I was always then going, okay, the only thing that saved him from a penalty in those situations is Rosberg kept jumping out of the way. And I always wanted Rosberg to just hold his line to, to test that rule. It's perfectly within the regulations. It has been done for donkey's years. If you are on the outside of a corner, you are not entitled to space on the exit. You're entitled to it on the entry, but not. So, so where on... does it, where does it say this? It, it's in the rule book. It's, it's okay. Cool. Absolutely, a hundred percent a rule of racing that has been adhered to for decades. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, it, it should be it should be simple to find then. So so go to um, at Chris on Racing, and you're going to tweet tweet that rule when you find it because I genuinely want to see that. I would love to see that clearly written in the rules where it says the car on the outside can just has to jump out of the way. The the rule I'm more familiar with, Matt, is the one where you always have to leave a space. Oh no, no, that's not a real rule. The the real rule is that you can't deliberately crowd someone off track. So you you are meant to leave them um a racing room. And a common misconception is that that only applies on the straight. So just very quickly, the one that only applies on the straight before the braking zone is the two moves rule. So if you defend your position on a straight before the braking zone and then you decide to rejoin the racing line, in that scenario, you have to leave uh, a space. So people mistakenly think that the crowding rule also doesn't apply uh, because it wasn't on a straight. You, you can never force someone deliberately off track, Matt, if I am reading that correctly. That is correct. And I, I'm asking if anybody remembers, because wasn't there an incident vaguely similar to this with Rosberg and Hamilton a few years ago at the same track? Oh, I thought you were going to bring up Germany. Go, well, you bring up Germany then. Well, look, that is the only instance I can think of. Remind us. Where, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, Rosberg on the inside defending from Hamilton, delays the turn in so that when Hamilton does turn into the corner because he can't see him, they make contact. Uh, and that was an entirely different issue because uh, that wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't leaving racing room. And that was on the entry of a corner, not an exit. So it's already entirely different. But Rosberg did something very similar in Germany that same year on the exit of that hairpin. And um, I, I would still say even then that shouldn't have been a penalty because I've there are hundreds of cases. Yes. Oh, I agree. I agree. The, but is the, the rule book, is it is it the rules of the playground, as Michael says in in the chat room? Is it do we have a system where, like in law, where if a precedence is set, that then becomes the basis for further rulings? Or Catman, do we have a case where we've just had rules that have been badly enforced, whereas this season we have enforced the, the crowding rules. We have enforced the rules as written, and it's a little bit of a shock to people. Yeah, as far as I'm uh, aware, there's nothing specifically written down particular against corner entry versus corner exit. But I, as you're absolutely right, for, for years now, we have defended this rule where you know, on, the, on the entry, you have to give room, and on the exit, you can do what the hell you like. You can push people right off if, if you fancy it, if yeah. they're on the outside. The issue is, is that I... I, I it's not a good 
thing to have done. But I think you're absolutely right. We, we're going to find it very hard to go back on it because we've had so many instances now where we haven't given penalties for it. But, you know, if we were at the Missed Apex casting event and I shoved you off on the exit of a corner like that, I'm pretty sure you'd have some rude words with me when we got back. And, you know, I, I would expect those. Were, those OK, were. well, let's have this. Let's 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 do hypotheticals. I know there isn't a wall there, but let's put a wall there. And Leclerc holds his ground, and Verstappen just drives outside onto him because that that's happened before. In that in that incident, would we would we all agree that if there's a wall there, Verstappen would have to leave a car's width, and if he didn't, that would be his fault for driving into Leclerc. Would we at least all agree on that? Yes, because that then would have been causing a collision, which would have been a separate incident. Mm. See, see the collision that did happen, Matt. I felt the, that that is actually the situation that was investigated by the stewards the crowding off the track wasn't investigated by the stewards it was the contact itself the very slight contact that was investigated and i'm really surprised by that i wasn't even looking at that looking at that contact under everything we say on missed apex podcast for consistency that contact was caused by leclerc because there was still plenty of racing room on the left hand side when they actually touched wheels the problem i had was on the exit and the crowding well, so let's talk about what we agree on. Factually, things that we all saw happen. We saw Leclerc turn in first and set his apex. We saw Verstappen turn in second, and they made the halfway point without any contact. Yeah. We're all good there? Just, yeah. And as they exited the turn on the far side of the apex, that's where the contact happened, and the contact caused Leclerc to leave the track entirely. Oh, I don't know about that. No, 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 no. I, I think the, the contact just caused him to move a little bit out to the left. However, the him leaving the track on the exit of the corner was caused by Verstappen having a fully turned right steering wheel, which, if you look at the onboard, he just allowed it to open up a little. He didn't straighten the wheel and steer into him, Catman, but he did steer less, and then he went back to his normal steering. In my mind, there is no doubt that he deliberately, and probably in the spirit of racing, opened up that steering just enough to make sure that Leclerc would have to leave the track. So with the opening of the steering wheel, there's two parts of that. First of all, there's a crest there, which does make it go a little bit loose at the rear end. That applied, if you listen to the audio, at the same time as the as the wheel moves, and we're talking a few degrees here, but as it opens up that very slight bit, that's when he's just applied a, a maximum amount of power, where the torque then unsettles the rear slightly, and then he has to unload the steering wheel to then deal with that. So actually, I'm not sure it was a deliberate move outwards, but more just trying to settle the rear of his car that put him into the clear. Which is absolutely what Vettel got a penalty for. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so there's that problem. But I'm going to ask, I did put two pictures into the notes. Did anybody have a look at them? Oh, well, we can certainly look at them now. Uh, you've done uh, some sky pads, so we'll give credit where it's due. This is Paul DeResta looking at it on the sky pad. It's the onboard, and one shot is just about at the contact point. And then the other one is, as he's on the exit of the corner, clearly uh, Verstappen has left no racing room at all. Leclerc is visible on his left-hand side, and Verstappen is all the way onto the curb. So there's 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 no room at all for Leclerc to hang onto the track. But what I really want you to look at is Verstappen steering. In the first shot, he's full 180 degrees, arms crossed. And then in the second shot, he's 90 degrees. Yeah. So it's not just a few degrees. No. It, it was a pretty significant turn. And if you watch, as I did a couple of times, it's clear that his wheels turn towards 
Leclerc's before you see the big bump happening and the Ferrari off to his Yeah, line. yeah. I, I just think some people would argue that he's he's on the inside, so he doesn't have to start turning yet. It's up to Leclerc to wait for him to actually turn. Yeah, yeah and I would agree with that in many situations. The problem I have is that the front wheels were quite literally right next to each other. And so they are entirely alongside, not partially alongside. If if Leclerc had been halfway down the chassis, he, he never had a chance and backing out was entirely on him, in my opinion. But they were side by yeah, side. Yeah, they were side by side. And completely. I think that changes the equation. And if you just go back a previous lap, you see a different outcome from the same situation. Okay, we're going to start wrapping this up. Catman. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the the point that Verstappen uh, seized upon. In the previous lap, Leclerc was halfway down his car. So if he had tried to crowd him out, there would have been front front wheel to rear wheel contact. And that would have sent Leclerc up in the air with a broken suspension. The fact that they are directly side by side means that actually crowding him out and a little bit of contact, you know, end on is absolutely fine and would make no damage to either car. And then he was able to crowd him out perfectly uh, pointed out as well and i would say that leclerc made the two mistakes one by leaving the door open in the first place he sort of half-heartedly shut it and let max get his nose in there which he shouldn't have let him do and then decided to brave it out around the outside when in reality maybe giving up on the entry and trying to get him back on the exit might have been a better strategy well okay. was the switch back Okay, so I don't, I don't think, yeah, switchback might be something, but I, I really, 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 really strongly disagree with the assertion that if you're the car on the outside and as fully alongside as he is, and then the other driver decides to close the gap that a car is in, I, fu- I strongly disagree that the car on the outside has to break or jump out of the way. I think Leclerc is more than entitled to hold fast. It's and, a and, savage violation of the Philpot lane system at that point. And, and Chris, if you're going to say otherwise, sh- give me any evidence that suggests that that, that that car has to jump out of the way, apart from he, the rules of the playground. He doesn't, but he's not entitled to space either. Uh, this is where I think you're wrong, because if, if Verstappen deliberately, which I think he did, because that he's a hard racer, if you deliberately crowd someone off the track that is literally a thing in the rules that you're not allowed to do and whilst we might say racing is hard and Vettel can sit there and say this is not kindergarten we are we are adults and we are doing this every single driver and team turns up to compete in the spirit of the rules and as the rules are written and everyone knows those rules so you cannot then go oh well because Verstappen had the kahunas to break those rules today, we can just forget about the rules as they're written. So I, I think there was a case for a penalty. Chris? They're not there to do it in the spirit of the rules. No, they're no. It's bend and manipulate. Every, everyone, yeah, but everyone knows the rules. So if you break those rules, then you're risking a penalty. So Verstappen knows you're not allowed to deliberately crowd a car out. If he, if he does decide to deliberately crowd a car out, he can't then say, oh, yeah, but it's just racing. Because Leclerc has gone there with the, oh, he's not going to crowd me out. And if he does, there'll be a penalty. Why is Leclerc punished for driving according to the rule books? It, Verstappen was to the rule books. Well, ask any racing driver about that rule. And it, even well, if it but, is... Well, in that case, go to at Chris on Racing. Go to at Chris on Racing, where you will have tweeted where those rules are. Trumpets. Well, the, the argument Leclerc should have backed out when he was dead alongside. 
And just to be clear, I'm still differentiating. If he was halfway alongside Verstappen, I think Verstappen had every right to go to the edge of the track, and it was on Leclerc to get out of the way. But if your wheels are alongside wheels, fronts and backs, then the two cars are even, and I feel like you have a different negotiation between the two drivers going on. And what I would say is, at that point, saying that Leclerc needs to back out would be the equivalent of saying that the penalty on Vettel in Canada was Hamilton's fault because he was speeding up and trying to go around even though he could see that Vettel was headed in that direction. And he was just trying to sneak around. So he sped up to try and get around. So it's really Hamilton's fault for going fast and making Vettel get a penalty. That it's would the be, same that kind would, of reasoning yeah, to yeah. me. That would be the consistent decision. Yeah. So I think yeah. We, yeah, we've got a lack of consistency there. And the incident that I think was the one that should be highlighted wasn't even investigated. Although I cannot blame the stewards for wanting to get home safely to their families in that packed stadium. Not taking anything away from Verstappen's performance. He was absolutely on fire formula b chris catman stevens your man lando norris it is starting to look like not a fluke it's starting to look like they can mix it and claim that sixth spot because obviously you know the top five guys have got the the three best cars and have have bagsied those top five but lando norris just looking mighty impressive impressive and signs as well to be fair yeah, absolutely. I think Lando's doing a fantastic job in that car and he's really showing uh, that he should have got the promotion. I think science has had a lot of bad luck this year that's actually making Norris look better than possibly he has been so far. Because actually, I I would actually argue, obviously, apart from Verstappen, that science would have been the driver of the race today just because of his awesome result to P8 despite... And he was only a, a handful of seconds behind Norris and that's despite him starting on the back of the grid. Um, and I, I think actually that, you know, he, he should have got further up, although uh, on the team radio, I was seeing that actually Gasly had, or uh, sorry, he had some some damage to his wing, which meant he couldn't go uh, and actually beat Gasly to get right behind Norris. Yeah, he definitely had damage and that compromised his last 10 laps. Otherwise, he was fairly confident that P7 would have been his and it would have been a it would have been essentially a one two for the midfield. Alfa Romeo as well on sparkling form at the moment. Oh, after, I'm glad you went there. Yes, absolutely. After a bit of a wobbly start to the season, uh, they they seem like they they're getting it together. And Antonio Giovinazzi scoring his first Formula One point. Yeah, and did you see that um, his team boss, I think it's Fred Vasseur, decided to uh, cut off his ponytail uh, after <laughs> scoring his point? Uh, that was that was brilliant. Have a look at that on, on Twitter. There's a video of that going around. Okay, Chris Stevens, is this a fluke? Because how strange was it to suddenly see Kimi Raikkonen in fourth place, sitting pretty at the beginning of that race? It was amazing. I think we've seen an odd race in Austria, and I think a lot of that was tyre-dependent and heat uh, dependent. So I- I'm not expecting we go to Silverstone and Alfa Romero fighting for a top five uh, again. Uh, but uh, they they look like they're they're edging forward in the the Formula 1.5 B, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Formula B, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Formula B trumpets. We're sticking with that. Yeah, Formula B because it fits our our numbering scheme completely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when when I list build, we go one B dot 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 uh, the eyes with the dots on the top that that's how we go and then giraffe so that, that formula b that makes sense it, it makes perfect sense to me and uh, there's there's no question at this point mclaren is the class of the field this year they have been consistent they've delivered points at every race and barring the odd crash or explosion of a Renault power unit 
I I see it being hard for any team to get the jump on at this point. And while we're talking about Formula B, I'm just going to skip down a little bit to Formula W because somehow, somehow Williams have managed to win Formula W and properly. And I vowed to you about three races in, I was going to stop kicking Williams when they were down and I wasn't going to talk to them, talk about them until they legitimately beat someone. And I think today, Matt, at the expense of your Haas, Murica, they have beaten K-Mag on, on, on pace for whatever. What happened? Why did Russell finish ahead of Magnussen? Uh, Magnussen got a drive through penalty for not lining up on the grid properly. Okay. And did George Russell get a penalty for lining up on the grid properly, which is part of the race? No. Then no. George Russell beat a Haas. Well done, George Russell. My well, driver of the day. I, I'm confused. The drive-through yeah. penalty cost Magnuson an extra 25 seconds, and he was two seconds back of him at the end of the race. Yes, but George Russell didn't get a drive-through penalty and lined up correctly, which is part of the things you're supposed to do. Catman, explain the logic to him. I mean, I, I don't see any flaw in what I'm saying. I, I think it is pretty impressive that he didn't manage. I, it looked like, to be fair, he lined up correctly, and then there was some creeping involved by the looks of things, but he just kind of crept just out of the front of his box. I think at the moment, though, Haas are actually beating themselves rather yep. than Williams beating them. Uh, they just they start they qualify so well and then they just plummet downwards. It's awful to see. And it, it can't just be the tyres, Matt. It can't just be blaming it on that because they've had enough races, surely, to kind of get everyone else has got the same tyres. Everyone else has the same tyres, and you could absolutely blame them for not being able to figure out why or what is going on with them and the tyres, but. If I put it to you, if you look at the Q3 runs, uh, Magnuson's first run, he was dead last. He was half a second off of the other midfielders. His second run, where he got the tire switched on, he was two tenths faster than the McLaren. That's how big a difference the tires are making to the Haas right now. Their inability to solve that problem is, yeah, it's kind of on them. But the fundamentals of the car outside of that, yeah, it's a fast car if they can solve this problem. As his tires are, are like uh, the Haas avocados, you know they're they're ripe one one second of of every every of all of their life really, and then that's all that they can do. I'm gleaning from context that avocados don't stay ripe for very long. Is that am I correct there? Yeah, not absolutely. a big avocado yeah. guy. I'm not a oh, millennial they... hippie hipster cafe latte drinking millennial weirdo, Chris. <laughs> they're they're either they're usually hard, 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 gone off in the bin. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's stick a little bit with McLaren, and also uh, let's think about Daniel Ricciardo because the they are the two players in this chess game who have moved away from this potentially winning package. Do we think that Ricciardo, Chris Stevens, or Honda, uh, sorry, or McLaren, will be sitting there today going, "Oof, ugh, what 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 could we be doing differently? Will will McLaren be ruining?" the Honda decision, now that engine clearly has a bit of grunt. I think McLaren will be ruining the way they treated Honda and the relationship they had with them because you know it's the same work going into it, but McLaren never gave them the space to develop and, and grow, which Red Bull have, which is why they are the ones who have given Honda their first Grand Prix win in 27 years and not McLaren. And why McLaren, we're, we're praising McLaren for a sixth place finish. Oh, great point. Yep. It's, Fantastic. I think Ricardo 
might feel a little bit bad now, but you know, there's supposed to be a long-term plan with Renault, uh, which we were, we're not going to see the results of for a couple of years. Fair enough, but it, it is a sign that he's not exactly where he wants to be and that he's definitely made a sacrifice for that potential future gain. Just going back to McLaren a little bit, I, I was chatting to Nick Alexander, who couldn't be on because Ferrari didn't win. I think that's the reason he gave. But you know, he was saying, well, hang on a minute, you can't say McLaren are feeling sick at missing out on the win because they're doing really well this season. And I pointed out to him, McLaren are a team that have won a championship more recently than Ferrari. This is meant to be a top team. No, they're not happy that delighting and celebrating that they're sick. They should be winning. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Anytime that they've gotten praise for their their top 10 results, I think, well, no, that's just not good enough. And they can't keep saying it's it's the engine anymore. You know, because they've tried different ones and they're still not performing. It's all in the the, the chassis and, uh, frankly, the management as well. Yeah, it, it is. And I think if I'm McLaren, I'm sad that I've given away a manufacturer relationship that obviously could have worked with proper care. But I can't be complaining with the results I'm getting with my current Renault power unit because I'm beating the factory team with it pretty handily. But, but then you're a, a much more funded um, team. If you're one of the stakeholders in that team, though, how are you going to feel about throwing away the relationship that just won a Grand Prix? Was that a rhetorical question? Uh, yeah, I, I, we'll treat it as a rhetorical question. And I think we can move on to the podium. After all the doom and gloom, after Paul Ricard... After all the negativity and the toxicity on social media created, I believe, by ClickFarm F1, telling you they, that you should hate the race, telling you that boring races are a tragedy and that F1 was broken and it needs to be fixed, we feel, as a show, as a shed production, a little bit vilified because we've been doing this a long, long time and we know that some races, it, it just doesn't happen. Fundamentally, F1 is a sport that lines up in equal cars. It's not a spec series. There's an inherent performance gap all the way down the grid. We then put the best drivers into the best cars because the best teams that produce the best cars have the most money and therefore pay the best drivers. The teams with the less good cars need money and pay drivers to sit in their seats. And then we get everyone to test their driver-car combo on a Saturday and we line them up from fastest to slowest. And then we set them off and we're surprised if it concertinas and turns into a procession. That used to happen in the 90s, race after race after race. In the 90s, the most exciting thing would happen is that the engines would have big, big blowouts and you'd be waiting all race to see if anything happened. Murray Walker had a phrase in the 90s, catching in Formula One is one thing and passing is quite another that wasn't just in Monaco. That wasn't just in the Hungara ring. That was in every single track. This is what is F- F1 is like. And if you have the patience to just enjoy the experience of watching F1, you are occasionally rewarded with an Austria. Don't get sucked into the toxic new boys on the block who've been watching Formula One for the last 10 minutes and who thrive only if there's sensationalism and clicks and when they turn around and try and enjoy this race and tell you oh look at all that negativity where did all that come from don't forget don't forget it was them ran over great race today absolutely fantastic let's give out some awards who's your thing of the weekend 
Chris Stevens. First of all, Chris, do you want to talk about your new PR career? Because you are really impressing me. You're doing so much. Just, just give me a little insight because you are now in the heart of FIA Motorsport. Yeah, uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> um, so taking on a new PR role is, is very different to what I've been doing for the last four years as a Formula E journalist, uh, for example. And it's now, uh, I, I do a totally different job now. I, I, I cover the secrets rather than trying to expose them. Uh, and that's uh, that's an interesting thing to have to get used to. But I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's a great company that I'm working for, and we have great clients. And I get to watch amazing racing, and I'm learning all these new things. And it's just it's incredible. Uh, I'm loving the way my career is going at the moment because now there's there's a perfect amount of travel involved in it um, as well. But there could be a lot more on the horizon soon. So exciting times. And the the only reason that Chris changed that career was so he would have a legitimate excuse to change his terrible Twitter handle, which believe it or not, guys used to have an underscore in it. I know. Awful. Absolutely awful. And he doubled down on that and he refused to change it but he changed careers instead so that he could change it. So if you want to follow Chris now, you can follow him at Chris on racing. The, the best thing about it though, was giving up my, not even giving up trading in my awful part-time job in a retail shop. And the, honestly, one of the best moments of my life was handing in my, yeah. uh, my notice into that place. I can relate. Chris Stevens, who is your thing of the weekend? Loads to choose from. There is. I mean, you, you might say it's it's a cop out, um, but I think my thing of the week are, are people people like us who still believed in Formula <laughs> One after Paul Ricard, uh, because we got given something fantastic today, and I feel so bad for anyone who just just gave up after the the French Grand Prix weekend because it's it's an awful track. What were you expecting? Come to a proper track and you'll get good racing. And there's lots of awful tracks in F1 and people accept it. People accept the Monaco Grand Prix, although that's the that's the one I let myself whinge about. But I still enjoy it. I still sit and enjoy the whole weekend. I don't miss a second if I can help it. Uh, let's go to our, our friend, Chris Catman-Turner. Catman, who's your thing of the weekend? I would suggest that my thing of the weekend, like Chris, would be the actual Austrian Grand Prix circuit. It's just a wonderful circuit that just allows great racing. We come here year on year and it just gives us the best. Now, it used to be longer, didn't it? And my memory doesn't quite uh, stretch back with enough fidelity to remember it. But apparently through like past turn one, there's like extra bits down there uh, and you could extend the track. However, it was a really easy one to follow. And I have to say, this is the first race that my son Treeface has really, I saw it in his eyes. I saw the love for the sport in his eyes and it's taken till he's nine. So Chris, your kids are like small and they're going to be terrible for a long time. Small children are so boring and so much hard work and they smell and you have to go to parties where everyone coughs all the time. But now he's nine, he's really into it. And actually he was watching the live timings for me and keeping me uh, abreast of all the gaps. And he had his model cars laid out in the race order. So as it was changing, I could just, I could look down there and I had the race order down for me. Uh, where was I going with this? It was an easy one to follow. Actually, it's a great first Grand Prix for someone to watch because you've got uh, three, three right-handers. And in that bit, that's the overtakey bit. Then you've got left, left, right, right, breathe. Then it's back into the overtakey bit that you don't have a chance to get bored before the action kicks off again. 
Yeah, and and I'll tell you what though, you have done remarkably well to get your kids into Formula One because that is the dream. And I'm starting really early. She's only what three weeks old, and I'm <laughs> starting already. But we'll we'll get there. Good luck with that. So you've given you've given the track your thing of the weekend, Matt Trumpets, my friend. Who are you giving thing of the weekend to? Oh, and can I say, are you available tomorrow? I am meant to be having a day off tomorrow. Eighteen days on the truck. Uh, I've I've showed. And I don't want sympathy because my job is essentially talking, but I I wouldn't mind coming out of my pyjama slumber to talk to our patrons for a patron podcast because we've not done one for a couple of weeks. It would have to be either early or late, but we can negotiate a time. Let's go for it. And if you want access to that patron-only feed, which is ad-free as well, and we do appreciate the people who um, support our sponsors too, uh, but if you want an ad-free feed and the patron podcast and to come and join us in a private chat group, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Matt Trumpets, who's your thing of the weekend? Well, uh, we've had a few suggestions from the chat room, uh, specifically Magnuson's celebration over finishing P5 and Q3. Apparently, I mean, I heard the radio and it was just, it was a thing of beauty. It was, it was a very happy thing to listen to. I, I really I've, like K-Mag. Love him. It, it was a, um, I've seen more than a few people reference uh Kubica getting driver of the day on F1's poll oh, they, as, as a thing to be celebrated for whatever reason. They took it down. Yeah, I think there might have been an issue with it. I, I thought I saw someone say they tried to vote for someone else and it said they had voted for Kubica. So maybe there was some hacking involved. I don't know. Sheer speculation. We don't even understand anything. I'm just being hopelessly reckless and irresponsible at this point. Catman, any insight? Uh, it's the most popular win of driver of the day since Rio Harianto. <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible system. From the country that brought you Boaty McBoatface, now you can vote on who you think is driver of the day. Um, For me, I'm really surprised that no one chucked up the last five laps of the race as being the thing of the weekend. But that said, I'm going to have to go with Carlos Sainz because the more I think about it, he started, what position did he wind up starting in? 15th, 16th? 19th. 19th, hmm. he drove all the way to the front on his first set of tires, came back into the race, and he would have been P7 if his car hadn't broken. And wow, I know Verstappen, obvious choice here, but I got to hand it to Signs through all that traffic in the midfield. That was impressive. We obviously mentioned in dispatches, super, super max, super, super max. He was on fire today. He dominated it. Very hard not to give him driver of the day. So I am going to. However, I think special mention it has to, of course, go to Charles Leclerc as well. Uh, obviously, we don't know how well he would have done against Sebastian Vettel. So it's a flattered a little bit. However, he, he, I think, I think he did the best he possibly could have done today, apart from covering off the inside more aggressively and leaving himself open uh, to to being overtaken up down the inside. I think he can rightly feel a little aggrieved. And I think next time he'll know full well what Verstappen is doing, although they have carted together. So you'd think he would he would have a bit of an insight. So I think if it wasn't for that, it would have gone to Leclerc, but it's got to go. It's got to go to Max Verstappen. It's not all positivity here, though, is it, Matt? We we also like to assign blame in whose fault is this. And we also like to do a bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Treeface wants to know who missed the apex. That's my boy, Treeface. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? What what bad thing? This is where we allow negativity. You can go all click farm F1. Who do you want to do down? 
I really wish he hadn't come to me first. Um, I'll take the cop out of Pierre Gasly. Yeah. I lap down on his race winning teammate. How much more borrowed time is he going to have? I-, I can't believe Gasly is a lap slower than Max Verstappen. I think that mystery will unravel itself a little as we go further into the season, if he gets a chance to. Matt Trumpets, who's your bad thingness of the weekend? Well, the chat room is is paying lots of money to tell us that Max actually and purposely missed the apex. Oh, yeah. So I feel compelled to read that on the air. (laughs) It's very funny. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of people and things I could choose. But relative to expectations, I'm going to have to go with Mercedes. They were just not in it today. I suspected and I nearly made this a topic. I, you know, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, guys. I might not have mentioned it, but I quite like Lewis Hamilton as a driver. He's my go-to driver. And, and I don't like how people attack him when he's off form. But it it just, it did feel like he was in a bit of a funk today. Uh, Catman, it just felt like he was kind of head down and he was really despondent in the pen. He was just like, rubbish. I just, I didn't feel the, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel his normal fight. He didn't feel on it. Yeah, you just stole my missed apex. Oh, no. I was going to give it to Lewis Hamilton and I was going to give it both barrels. He was not on form today. I'm going to get a lot of abuse from this. But well, no, no, he's, he's been on lots of form over yeah. the course of the season. He's yeah, been incredible. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. today yeah. he was not good. He was hitting those curbs left, right and centre. You know, every five minutes yep. there was a replay of him going over that that turn one. It's, yes, the turn and one. one. He broke his wing. And after that, you know, even though when they changed it, he was still not able to bring that gap back down, most likely because he had some floor damage resulting from that. And he would just look scruffy the whole day. So, yeah, he's my Miss the Apex Award. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I understand because I wasn't like halfway through the race uh, after the after his uh, pit stop. They were like, oh, you need to lift and coast 500 meters from the corner. And he was like, what? And they're like, oh, all the other teams are doing it. And the Sky commentators were like, well, actually... None of the other teams are doing it. <laughs> so I, I think I think he was surprised to have a car that was that uncompetitive. And it was inherently frustrating because it was there, you can't drive around a problem like we haven't put enough cooling on the car. And the erudite in the chat room is saying that he was fighting with his hands tied behind his back. No doubt he, he had some problems and the Mercedes car had problems this week as well. But I, I, I think some of it was of his own, his own making as well. I've, I've got to... I know, Matt, you and I disagree about Lance Stroll, and I don't want to give him too much of a kick in, but I think the people who get annoyed with me for talking bad about Stroll have stopped listening by now, so I'm probably safe. But, you know, it's like 18 Q1s in a row or something. You tried to defend him this week by going, well, he was nearly as fast as Perez once on a track that's got three corners. Like, come on, this is bad. His average qualifying time is so far off the pace. Yeah, it is. And it's problematic. Oh, okay, good. But I'm not giving it to him. I'm giving it to us because you toyed with us, Steiner. You were all charming with your naughty words and your accessibility in the Netflix thing. And we all loved you. And we all got emotionally invested in your efforts. And you're always good in Australia. Then you qualify really well. And you've got two likable drivers, one of which which can sometimes stay on the track. And then you disappoint us constantly in the races. Haas need to start delivering because I want them to do well. They've made me love them. And they're not delivering. 
I completely and entirely understand that. And in the spirit of the show, I would like to say that Nick Alexander is now trying to nominate himself for missing the apex by paying actual money to say that he's a superior token American panelist. I mean, you can donate money straight from the live chat room. It's not something we've ever uh, pushed, but you can. And it does tot up our coffers, for which we are very, very grateful. Of course, you can do it the more traditional way, and you can support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex and we will try and provide you with things that make it worthwhile we've got one award left and that is the pony award daddy i want a pony and i want it now well bit harsh to say it's going to go to hamilton but i probably will give hamilton the pony award on this occasion it wasn't his normal radio chatter that make people go all pony award and i never agree where he's all like managerial and like this is what i need why doing that let's get on with this that's fine i don't mind any of that but today it was just it felt resigned and i didn't like it Uh, any other ponies guys everybody was relatively well behaved as far as i could see apart from as you say hamilton well i know max has done the business but he was very pony-esque right after the contact claiming that Leclerc had clearly driven into him uh, in in context. But I think I'm going to have to nominate for creativity Grosjean once again in the early stages of the race, saying it felt like it was raining on the track. He had so little grip. Fantastic. Thank you very much to all of our panel here on Missed Apex Podcast. Yes, Matt? And we have one more pony. That would be Russell Coburn giving us a stupendous amount of money just to have his name read on the air. So thank you, Russell. Well, that's not a pony. That's a, you're a legend. Thank you so much to Russell Coburn. Thank you so much to everybody who joins us on the live chat. We do encourage you to join us. Another record live chat for us this week. The, the French chat room was also very busy. There's a lot of you out there, I think, who love F1 and appreciate the fact that we love and live f1 as well go to youtube search for missed apex podcast and click the little bell and you'll get a notification when we go live also make sure if you are a podcast listener to subscribe on a podcatcher of choice you can contact us by emailing me at spanners at g spanners ready at gmail.com and we also have a website missed apex podcast.com follow matt at matt pt 55 chris at chris on racing follow chris turner by going to the vets chris where are you uh, you can find me on uh, Catman F1 and also at the Helmet Club. Uh, we're going to come to your karting event, Spanners, on the 21st of September. Are, 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 are there still any seats left? There are. Oh, yeah, the karting event. Right. I've had time to breathe. I will focus on the karting event. The tickets are going, to be fair, so do get in touch. Buttonmore Park, 21st of September. Tickets are £79. It's all afternoon, though, and it is a great format. You feel really involved. You get four races and you come in and out. We're also going to do a live recording of the Singapore Grand Prix the next day uh, as well. Good. Thanks for reminding me of that. Uh, we are going to have... I've, I've been really busy uh, for good reasons, which I will talk about in the Patreon podcast and probably on Twitter. Uh, that's why I had to say no to joe last week but joe is going to come on on tuesday and you're going to get really angry at me but matt matthew carter is available to come on tomorrow but i just don't think i can do it i don't think i can do another evening show and and then work the next day so we're going to try and hook that up as soon as we can follow me at spanners ready on twitter the show at missed apex f1 we'll see you again on tuesday until then remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars but glory last forever this is missed apex
Well, I see no reason to get angry YouTube comments today. Oh, apart from us slating Lewis Hamilton. I mean, for once, we never do, to be fair. Oh, and for me saying the snapping should have got a penalty and various other things. Yeah, I will stand by. The YouTube comments are my favorite. Um, are we going to do comment of the week? Yes, Bennett, are we going to do the feature that we do every week? Yeah, fine. We'll do the feature that we do every week. Hey, Matt, I guess. Hey, Matt, who's uh, won our comment of the week? Comment of the week. Well, it's a very challenging category today. And I must admit, uh, Sam Watley was in early with the stewards have killer lag. (laughs) Hang on, that, friend- that delay, that delay was caused by them waiting for Karun Chanduk to give his opinion and fly in. <laughs> Our friend Koroku Anoma with Kimmy gave him the finger of endearment. <laughs> yes, I like that. Rick Raikkonen uh, giving the bird to Lewis Hamilton. Technically, yeah. I think there were two fingers involved, but I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, then there was just a peace symbol. I must also point in, yeah. point out my mum over Skype call today was trying to do the Vulcan live long and prosper. But she mixed it up and she had like just randomly three fingers and a little finger. And she said, oh, look, I remember the phrase, go forth and multiply. I was like, no, 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 mum. That, <laughs> that is a very different phrase. Who else is up for comment of the week? I, our friend uh, Mike Kenyon Gasly gets lapped so he can slow down Leclerc for Max to overtake. Team player. What a team player. Um, and I believe Neuropean is in with F1 can be fixed by a mix of rich energy and Williams toothpaste. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> I, I have, I have, I have two more to go. How you know me? Six, six, six. New Red Bull slogan: Stewards give you wins. Oh, well, they didn't in this case, or did they? By not penalising Verstappen when they should have done, thus handing him the win. And and one of our newer commentators, I think, has a new nickname for you: Richard Energy. Ooh, I like that, and uh, definitely follow an account which is at Poor Energy on Twitter, which is is definitely isn't me, but is a funny parody of the Rich Energy Twitter account. Who's the winner today, Matt? And I think the winner will have to be Mike Kenyon. Gasly gets lapped so he can slow down Leclerc for Max to overtake. Comment of the week. I'd like to add to the, uh, the Miss the Apex uh, which will be the uh, the Rich Energy uh, Twitter. Uh, how many races have you won? Hashtag better than Red Bull. Hashtag gives you horns. They keep using the hashtag gives you horns, but their logo is a stag, and stags have antlers, not horns. So what? that's another fail. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.